Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. You know, sometimes God will allow us. It's not that God delights in seeing us suffer, but sometimes he will allow us to get to the place where we just have nowhere else to look except up. And that's what he does in our lives, because he loves us enough. That sometimes he has to get us to the bottom of ourselves so that we'll finally look up to him. And in the case of the Jewish people, what happened was when the exiles first returned, all they were concerned about was settling down and building their own homes, and they neglected the temple of God, and they neglected the worship of God. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Nehemiah. Each and every one of us experiences the blessings of God throughout our daily lives, whether we're aware of them or not. While some might go unnoticed, other blessings can be so big that they often end up distracting us from our gracious God who gives them. In today's message, Pastor Gary reflects on the hardships that the Jews faced shortly after coming back to the Promised Land. In our study, we learn how Israel's neglect of worship and thanksgiving resulted in God using famine and hardship to turn their attention back to Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Nehemiah 5 for part one of today's message titled, Being Others Oriented. Well, under the leadership of Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem are almost complete. But in chapters 5 and 6, difficulties and challenges arise that threaten the whole building project. Uh, In chapter 5, there is uh, a conflict from within the Jewish community that threatens to derail the building project. In chapter 6, the conflict is outside of the Jewish community from those neighboring nations who have been long opposed to the Jews and their rebuilding projects. Uh, for today, we're going to look here just at chapter 5, and we're going to see the difficulties and the conflict that arose from within the Jewish community, how they turned on each other, and how their conflict nearly threatened the whole building project. And we're going to learn from their mistakes. We're going to see how they corrected it. And we're going to take to heart these things, especially because, again, we find ourselves in the middle of our own building project. And the books of Ezra and Nehemiah deal with the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And so they've been good books for us to glean important principles from God's Word uh, in light of our own building project as well. And along those lines, last week, 
We looked at point number 20 and on our ongoing list through Ezra and Nehemiah, point number 20 from last week in chapter 4 was that we must fight to defend our families in prayerful and practical ways. I'm going to read here from chapter 5 this morning, the first eight verses. So starting here, Nehemiah 5 verse 1. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, We have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry, this is Nehemiah writing, and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I said to them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Let's pause there and I'll explain this. Well, I heard the story about a a lady who was working hard at her job one day and uh, it went into uh, late into the evening. So by the time she got home, it was midnight and she just wanted to kind of stumble into bed, but she, you know, crept into the house very quietly, not wanting to disturb the rest of the family got up to her bedroom, and in the dimly lit night, she notices that there are four legs in her bed sticking out at the end of the covers, not just her husband's. And the other pair of legs were clearly a woman. So she takes a baseball bat over the top of the quilt, just gives him a few good whacks. Wasn't trying to kill him, just showing her anger. Then she goes down into the kitchen, and she sees her husband there reading a magazine. And her husband says, hey, honey, hey, good to see you. Hey, I didn't hear you come home. Hey, listen, by the way, I hope you don't mind. My parents came for a visit. (laughs) And I gave them our bed. In the earlier service this morning, I got halfway into this joke, and some lady on the third row goes, I said, it's not real, lady. This is not a real story. (laughs) But it does illustrate this point. Sometimes in family, you can have conflict. And that's what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 5. There's family conflict going on here. The Jewish people are turning on each other. They're destroying each other. Now, here's the reason why. It's not a good reason, but here's the reason why. Economic crisis has set in to the community of the Jewish people. And when people get under financial hardships, unfortunately, those who have sometimes take advantage of those who have not. And those who have not sometimes do desperate things trying to become like the people who have. That's what's going on here in Nehemiah chapter 5. And this internal conflict and the strife threatens to derail the whole building project. So they got to correct this. Now, before we see how they correct it, I want to point out the three things that contributed to the economic crisis in Jerusalem at this time. Three things that chapter 5 tells us. The first thing it tells us is that there was a population explosion. 
Look again at verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. Circle that word. We're numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. So here's why they're so numerous. Here's why there was a population explosion. You have to remember how they got here. Earlier, Nebuchadnezzar, 586 B.C., the king of Babylon, came and attacked Jerusalem, besieged it, destroyed it, and took off tens of thousands of Jews to Babylon in captivity. They would stay there for 70 years. Now, it was part of God's discipline. He foreordained this. In fact, the Bible says that he used Babylon as the rod of his discipline to spank the kids that he loves. He was basically sending the Jewish people on a 70-year timeout. You're going to think about how rebellious you've been towards me, God is saying in effect, over these last hundreds of years through the period of the kings when you were into idolatry and immorality. My patience has reached a limit. I'm going to use the Babylonians to discipline you. They're going to take you off into captivity. They will spend 70 years there in Babylon, which is modern Iraq. And then by God's gracious hand, A new king comes to the throne, Cyrus, king of Persia. There's a new regime, a new empire. The Persian Empire replaces the Babylonian Empire. God lays it on the heart of the the Persian king to let the Jewish people go back to Jerusalem. And they do. Many of them. Not most of them, but many do. The Bible says that there were three waves of the Jewish people in three different waves of their return back to Jerusalem after 70 years in Babylon. The first wave... When you look at the census that is given to us in Ezra 2, and the census is repeated in Nehemiah 7, if you look quickly a couple chapters over, Nehemiah 7 is just a list of a bunch of names and numbers. It is the census that Nehemiah found that was taken, originally recorded in Ezra chapter 2. And when you look at the end of Nehemiah 7, and the numbers are tallied for us, when you include the men and the women and the men servants and the maid servants, it adds up to around 50,000 people who go in the first wave back to Jerusalem. The other two waves that follow do not include nearly as many people. In fact, when we look at the numbers that the Bible gives us and then we take into consideration women and children, the next two waves that followed probably no more than about five to 8,000 people. So 50,000 on the first wave, Five to 8,000 on the, on the other two waves, making for a total somewhere around, using round numbers, 60,000 Jews. Now, they have returned to a city with nothing. 60,000 people have been dropped into a city that has no infrastructure. It's not like they're going there, already there are jobs in place, there aren't any. The fields have not been cultivated, neither have they been planted. Okay, there's, there's nothing here. And 60,000 people are now vying for the same natural resources. We're going we're gonna to fight over the same fresh water. We're going we're gonna to try to scrounge around for food. And we're going we're gonna, to, 60,000 people now are affecting the economy in a dramatic way. There's a population explosion because it's gone from nothing. 70 years, the city of Jerusalem has been vacated to a population of 60,000 people. And that puts a stress on any economy. We know this just even in our own day when we study the problem of refugees around the world who have been displaced from their countries and their homes. And then they end up going to another country and often that other country doesn't have the infrastructure set up to absorb tens of thousands of people. Look what's happening in Syria right now. 
Since 2011, there have been 9 million Syrians who have been displaced from their home and from their country. 9 million. 150,000 roughly have sought asylum in the European Union. And Germany has taken in 85% of them. But no economy is prepared to take in tens of thousands of people. Because all of a sudden now, you've just expanded your population... But your infrastructure has limited resources, and now everybody's fighting for the same jobs, the same food, the same water, the same medical supplies. And it affects your whole economy. It affects everybody economically, socially, even ecologically. So you have to imagine here about 60,000 Jews coming into a city now and scrambling to survive. I mean, look at our, at our own colonial history. In 1607, when the first settlers came to Jamestown, there were 105 settlers. And they come to a just raw new beginnings, starting things from scratch. And after the first year, we know our history, after harsh winters, smallpox, all this kind of stuff, trying to survive, little food, 105 goes to 38 people. And then between 1607 and 1624, 6,000 new settlers come to Jamestown. But one year later in 1625, there's only 1,200 people. Why? Because it's hard to start from scratch and, and for people to get absorbed into an economy that really doesn't even exist. So that's what's going on here. 60,000 Jewish people have been dropped into a city that can't support them. And now they're scrambling and fighting for food and survival, and they're turning on each other. The other thing that has contributed to this economic crisis is a famine. We see here uh, in verse 3, it said, Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. So there's a famine on top of the population explosion. Not good combination. Uh, the, The prophet Haggai, who prophesied during this time of the exiles, tells us, in Haggai chapter 1, that there was a drought, and sometimes droughts are natural disasters, and sometimes in the Bible, droughts are brought on by God as a way of judging people because of their disobedience to get their attention. You know, sometimes God will allow us. It's not that God delights in seeing us suffer, but sometimes he will allow us to get to the place where we just have nowhere else to look except up. And that's, and that's what he does in our lives because he loves us enough. That sometimes he has to get us to the bottom of ourselves so that we'll finally look up to him. And in the case of the Jewish people, what happened was when the exiles first returned, all they were concerned about was settling down and building their own homes. And they neglected the temple of God and they neglected the worship of God. And so Haggai says that a drought came. Haggai 1, 10, and 11 says, Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. And so what we learn is, even though Haggai uh, ministered about 75 years before Nehemiah, that the effects of that drought are still being felt, uh, felt decades later. And so here they are, population explosion, famine in the land. Number three, the third thing that contributed to this economic crisis was something we're not familiar with at all, taxation. Taxation by the Persian king. Welcome to tax season, friends. Now, you have to remember at this particular time that Israel was part of the Persian Empire. The Persians ruled 
over this region, all the way from Iran to the Mediterranean, if you look at a map today. So that encompasses Israel. The, the Jewish people were subjects of the king of Persia. Now, their economic hardship was not because they spent a lot of money on rebuilding Jerusalem, because what Nehemiah chapter 2 tells us is that actually the king, Artaxerxes of Persia at this time, when he allowed Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, when he allowed Nehemiah to leave Persia and go back to his homeland of Jerusalem to oversee this building project, Nehemiah chapter 2 says that the king Artaxerxes sent letters with Nehemiah ordering the neighboring peoples, who were part of the Persian Empire too, to give all the supplies to the Jewish people for the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. So in effect, the Persian government paid for the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem under Nehemiah's watch. The government said, we got this. All the Jewish people had to provide was manual labor and time. Otherwise, the government said, it's free. But how many of you understand that whenever the government says it's free, it ain't free, friends? All right? I don't care what they're telling you, friends, okay? There's no such thing as free college tuition. There is no such thing as free health care, free cell phones. Nothing is free. If the government says it's free, it's going to cost me. That's what I understand, right? Do you understand that? By the way, just by way of definition, because I'm reading these surveys of the younger generation, what they think socialism means... Socialism, friends, does not mean social causes or social networking. That's what people are thinking today. Socialism is a step away from Marxism, which makes government God, all right? So government simply wants more of your money and reaching further into your pocket. When government says it's free, it ain't free. Don't believe that lie. So the Jewish people here, like the governments, like Persia kings, like, we got this. It's all free. No, it's not, because what they ended up doing to recover the expenses was taxing them on their fields and their vineyards. And then the people were like, we can't come up with all this exorbitant tax money that we got to pay for all this free stuff. And so look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. So now they're getting increasingly more in debt. Borrowing just to even pay their taxes. Now, to compound all of this, Here's what's going on. Those within the Jewish community who were pretty well off were taking advantage of those who weren't as well off. And within their own community, those who had were saying to those who didn't have, oh, you need to pay your taxes? No problem. I got that. I got that for you. I'll pay the taxes for you. Just deed over your property to me. And they were doing that. Or they were saying, you hungry? I got food for you. Just put a second mortgage on your field and vineyards. I'll loan you the money. I'll give you the food. But now you're indebted to me, and you got to keep paying me. And by the way, we're going to find out the interest rate was 12% a year. Okay? They're charging each other interest. They're taking advantage of each other. And here's, here's what even gets worse. People then were like signing over the deed to their, of their fields and vineyards in order to pay their taxes, but now they don't have any food. And now they don't have any property. So the story tells us that they would sell their sons and daughters to each other as slaves. That's what's going on here. Those who had were buying sons and daughters from those who had not as their own personal servants. 
within their own community. Look again at verses 5 and 6. Verse 5. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. In other words, they were thinking, if if we can get back on our feet, we'll buy our sons and daughters back, but we can't even get back on our feet because we also mortgaged off our fields and vineyards. We have nothing. So verse 6, Nehemiah says, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. It's okay, friends, to get angry about stuff, especially injustice where humanity enslaves humanity. That's a horrible injustice. That is a horrible sin. And Nehemiah says, and we're doing it to each other. We, we were like slaves as captives in Babylon, and then God gave us our freedom, and now what are we doing? We're enslaving each other. We're making slaves of each other. This is not right. So when Nehemiah realizes all that's going on here, look, look at how he gives him a piece of his mind. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, so I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? Notice that. He says, shouldn't shouldn't we be walking in the fear of God so that we don't bring reproach and make a mockery of ourselves in front of our Gentile enemies? Now, let me just translate this in modern terms. There is a... An unsaved world that is watching how the church treats itself. How the body of Christ treats one another. And when we don't treat each other right, and when we bicker and fight, and we have conflict and strife and division and animosity and discord and all this kind of stuff, it brings reproach on the name of God to a watching world. Nehemiah says, when we act like this, our Gentile enemies... They will mock us. So he goes on here to correct them. He says in verse 10, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let the exacting of usury stop. Now stop, stop charging them interest. Don't take advantage of them. Just lend to them. They'll get, get it back to you when they can. Verse 11, give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the usury you were charging them, the hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine, and oil. So the hundredth part, see, is 1%, but that's 1% a month over a year. So it's 12% interest is what they're charging. And verse 12, so, so the nobles and officials, they get under conviction. Verse 12, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. And then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out of his house and possessions every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. So, here's the takeaway. If what threatened their own building project was internal strife and fighting and taking advantage of each other instead of looking out for each other, helping each other, loving each other. It's an important point for all of us. It's number 21 on our own ongoing list here. Point number 21, we must continue to be an others-oriented church. An others-oriented church. In the story here in Nehemiah, there was a population explosion. And let me tell you what happens typically when there's growth. 
When there's a population explosion, everybody just starts to take care of themselves, figuring everybody else has their own needs covered. That's all we have time for today on Cornerstone Connection. We're so glad you've taken the time out of your day to join us for a period of learning and encouragement for your life. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we'd encourage you to share it with someone you feel could use a little blessing as well. You can find and share this and many additional messages online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also subscribe to our podcast or take us with you on the go with our mobile app. Pastor Gary has also created companion resources that go along with some of the studies he's done. These are available on our website as well. Again, that address is cornerstoneconnection.cc. We at Cornerstone Connection believe that life is done better in community. Are you part of a local body of believers? For those of you in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd like to invite you to join us in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Come to our weekend services and find a warm group of people who would love to be your community. Weekend services are held Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. And we have a midweek gathering on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you'll come back next time as Pastor Gary continues through the book of Nehemiah on Cornerstone Connection. Cornerstone Connection.